everyone. Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, sponsored by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club, the longest-running softball program in Bergen County. If you or your daughter or someone you know is looking to play high-level softball for an elite club team, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. All right, coming up on this episode, Princeton keeps it rolling in dramatic come-from-behind fashion against Furman. St. John's picked up a nice road win at West Virginia. Some called it ugly, but I say, who cares? Every road win can be ugly. As long as you win, then the ride home is much better. And St. Peter's sweeps their upstate New York trip to Niagara. And Canisius, St. Peter's 2-0 in the MAC. How do you like that? We'll go around the Tri-State a bit later, but first, let's bring in my old friend, Freddie Hill, former head coach and assistant at Rutgers and two-time assistant coach at Seton Hall. Freddie, happy holidays. How are you, my friend? Hey, Brian, it's always a pleasure to be on with you and certainly happy holidays to all the fans out there and what a great time of the year. Basketball getting rolling, holidays coming up and Rutgers, Seton Hall. Yeah, you know what, Fred, let's start there. I, I want to talk about you have this, this new venture going on with New Jersey college basketball players and you're going to take a European basketball tour on a cruise so that will be fascinating i want to talk to you about that in a bit but let's just begin with rutgers seton hall that's the big story in new jersey this week uh both teams have uh difficult road games first but come saturday you know all eyes in new jersey college basketball will be on rutgers and seton hall and that's something that you know has been near and dear to you over the years fred how much are you following the teams this year and and will you be watching on saturday well, certainly I get a chance to follow the teams fairly closely. And yes, I, I've never missed a game via whether I was coaching in it, whether I was watching it, whether I was at the game. Uh, unfortunately, on Saturday, uh, my basketball academy, we actually have a game. So I'm going to have to tape this one and, and watch it on TV. And no one's allowed to tell me what happens because I know something crazy and special will happen in this game. <laughs> All right, so do not text Freddie uh, during the Rutgers-Seton Hall game because he will not respond to it, okay? And, Fred, you've been involved in some crazy antics with 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 this rivalry on both sides. Take us in the locker room. Well, you and I have talked about this before, but take us in the locker room, all right? The fans on social media, I mean, it, it's 24-7, 12 months out of the year, the banter between Rutgers and Seton Hall fans on social media. How about the coaches and the players? Does it, you've been on both sides. Does it mean as much to them? I mean, is it circled on their calendars? Uh, without question. And, and it's what a great rivalry is supposed to be. Mm. First for the fans, both fan bases are so loyal, so passionate. Jersey people in general, uh, you live here in the state, you know how passionate we are about everything. Um, about how opinionated we are about everything. And you're rooting for your team, your alma mater. And it's supposed to be like that. It's what makes a great rivalry great. And it spills over to the coaches, to the players. Again, I loved my time at Seton Hall University. And I loved my time at Rutgers University. But when it came time to play the other in the rivalry game, it's the Hatfield and the McCoys. There is nothing bigger, nothing more than you want to beat your opponent 
and beat them down as best as you can and make a statement that you are the superior team in the state of New Jersey. So the coaches get their kids pumped up. The kids get pumped up. They know each other. They played against each other in AAU basketball, maybe summer leagues. So there's bragging rights on the line. It's really a special, special game. Did so so it's changed a little bit, right? I mean, Rutgers and Seton Hall used to play each other twice a year. Now it's once a year. Um, you know, the coaches, they could be cordial or not. Uh, I think Linden High School coach Phil Calicchio said it. He said, I don't know if the coach of Seton Hall and Rutgers need to be best friends. Why didn't you and Bobby Gonzalez get along, Fred? Well, again, as part of the rivalry, and Bobby took it to a whole nother level. It was pure hatred, and you're supposed to compete, and I loved competing. Uh, for me, it wasn't pure hatred, um, but during the game, I'm competing. And if my brother was on the other sideline, I would compete the same way. And I think what Phil is saying is they don't need to be best friends, but when the game is over, then you can be cordial to each other. You don't have to be best friends. I'm not going out to dinner with you. I'm not asking you to go have a cup of coffee. You can be cordial um unfortunately bobby took it to an extreme and if you know anything about coaches players again people in new jersey uh bobby was an outsider okay um we're not backing down from anybody mm. so no there was absolutely no love lost during the game and certainly when bobby was on the sidelines after the game when it came to our relationship and at that time, there's nothing more important to me than Rutgers basketball. Look, uh, you and I on this podcast before have talked about that handshake, uh, the incident there. And, you know, were you, uh, you know, clapping in his face? Were you not? And and you defended it by saying, hey, you know, I was pumped up for our guys and maybe the media took it to another level. But you see handshake lines, Fred. All right. We saw earlier this season, Shaheen Holloway and Donald Copeland, two Seton Hall guys, two brothers, two friends. I mean, they're not hating each other. And they got into an argument in the handshake line on some disagreement. And you saw Shaheen Holloway fling his arms at, at Donald. Thankfully, both both coaches took the high road and said, hey, you know, we apologize. We need to do better. What is it about handshake lines? I mean, once that handshake line happened between you and, and Bobby, whatever happened, you know, it became, oh, my God, we got to watch what happens between Fred and Bobby here. You know, it's the assistant coaches. It's this. It's that. What is it about these handshake lines at the end of the game? Well, again, it, the game is emotional. The game is competitive. Um, as a coach, you're going through a thousand things, even when the game's over. And it, look, Sean Donald, two great guys, two friends, two Seton Hall alums. But two intense, what made them great, what makes them great coaches, two intense, competitive people going at it. And again, in that moment, you're just doing what you're supposed to do with your team, trying to win a game. And something was said that, you know, in a split second, it means something for a second. And, and then it's over. And yes, both guys took the high road and, and and they should. And really those things, they do get blown out of proportion. It's a, it's a, it's a small little piece of something that's so intense. Um, 
And it's really not a big deal unless it escalates and moves further along. And even in the case of, you know, Bobby and I, who did not like each other, it was no big deal. Um, Bobby was notorious for shaking your hand and holding on to your hand so he can say things to you. And all that was, was as he tried to grasp my hand and keep me in a handshake is I yanked my hand out of his and kept right on moving down the line. And, you know, everybody makes a big deal out of that. Well, it's the end of a game. It's emotional. It's, I don't want to hear what he has to say at that moment. And I'm sure whatever was said between Donald and Shah struck a chord. It happened. It's over. It's no big deal. Everybody moves on. Well said. Fred, I want to talk about this rivalry a little bit. What makes it so special? All right. It's it's become certainly New Jersey's premier rivalry and 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 in the Northeast. So your memories of of these games on both sides, give me uh, you know, one of your best memories from Rutgers or Seton Hall perspective, and then your worst. Well, every game, and if you just go back and look at it, first of all, what makes it a great rivalry and back then you, we were both in the Big East. Mm-hmm. So your conference competitors. So it adds another layer to what takes place right now. And in that, you really were competing in the recruiting world for a lot of the same type of players. And because conference standings meant so much, if one gets the edge in the conference standings or gets a win, it kind of had a little more juice to it. Today, recruiting is a little bit different. You're not in the same league. There's not as much, I don't think, animosity. But again, it's the state of New Jersey. It's the mentality of people in the state of New Jersey, coaches, players. And so it's really, really special. It's it's North Carolina and Duke, except that their programs have been at an elite level for a long time. And, of course, the more you win, and now you see the success of Rutgers, you see the success of Seton Hall, the better they each get, the more intense the rivalry is going to get. And that's what's really making it special now. That adds a different element that we really didn't have when I was at both Seton Hall and at Rutgers. We were just building at Seton Hall under Tommy Amaker. I was trying to build at Rutgers. So neither program was really at an elite, elite level, uh, except for Seton Hall, maybe one or two years. And so this, I think, both programs are in a good place in a good position. They've had great success over the last five, six, seven years, and it makes it that more intense. But the memories of it, the fans, the intensity, the craziness. Best Um, win, Fred? Best win? uh, You know what? I I really have to say the best win was when I was at Rutgers because we were really struggling. I think we were on an eight-game losing streak when we beat Seton Hall on J.R. Inman's buzzer beater. And so, again, for my kids and how hard they were working and trying to build and being mired in a losing streak, to still be that competitive, and that's how much the game means, to go into that game as a decided underdog and be able to take down your rival. There's something very special. And, you know, coaches, we 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 – we believe for our kids, it's like parents. And so for them, that had to be the shining moment of their season. And for the seniors, 
it capped off their career. So that's the one I remember for the kids. There's other great ones, overtime game down at, at the rack when I was at Seton Hall, uh, called the timeout, if I remember correctly, and they didn't have timeouts and um, got to shoot some technical free throws that put the game in overtime and we won. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember all the details of all the games. What I can tell you is the intensity. And again, I've been on both sides of it. And it doesn't matter. When I was at Rutgers, the intensity level was sky high. When I was at Seton Hall, the intensity level was sky high. And so, if there's a loss, Fred, did it sting a little bit more? Absolutely. Just like the win is is you you hold it in higher regard. When you lose, it certainly stings a little bit more and you got to bounce back and move on. But you don't like losing that game. You 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 want to win that game at all costs. Yeah, that that is that is a rivalry. And and now it's only one game. So now there's no second chance later in the year. All right. I know they're not in the same conference, but it's still maybe it means a little bit more now. I don't know. Uh, but I'll say this, uh, both teams are in need of a win on Saturday. Uh, both teams could really use this just for momentum. And, and as you look at the two teams, Fred, uh, the keys, what do you think are the big matchups, uh, that could give one team an edge over the other, as you look at these two teams, the way they are constructed? Well, I, I think it's, and I'm, I'm a former guard and, I think if you look around college basketball and uh, guard play is so important. And I, I think as you look at those matchups, um, both teams are trying to figure out right combinations, uh, playing time minutes, uh, get their guard rotations down. Um, and I think whatever group of guards, I don't think there's an individual, but whatever group of guards plays better in that game, I think those guards can control the game and that gives the edge to either of the two programs. I agree. I agree. We saw Rutgers guards uh, unfortunately got manhandled by a bigger, stronger, physical Illinois guard group. And Kaderi Richmond certainly fits that mold for Seton Hall. Uh, Al Dawes is certainly undersized, but we haven't seen Kaderi Richmond bring that Uh, level of consistency throughout. So I would agree with you there. I think Cliff certainly gives Rutgers an edge inside against Jaden Bediaco, but we haven't seen the best of Cliff Amori, I think, at all this this year. So uh, keep an eye on the guard play, Fred. I agree with you on that. And, and, you know, whichever guards really show up, we've seen with both teams, uh, they seem to have more success. So, Fred, you've been around this game for a long time. You have uh, started a venture. You know, you've been in coaching and now you're coaching with your your basketball academy. And uh, I love what you've done with the basketball reunion in, in the spring and uh, the New Jersey Hall of Fame there. Fred, I don't know how, how you have time to even start something new, but here you are going on a cruise next summer to, to Europe with a bunch of New Jersey college basketball players. What is going on, Fred? Well, Brian, I think this is a great time to talk about it because we just talked about the Rutgers, Seton Hall, and, you know, I'm a Jersey guy through and through, always have been. I've been very fortunate in my journey in in basketball to coach at five different colleges and universities in the state of New Jersey. And uh, obviously the two 
uh, major ones in terms of Rutgers and St. All being in the Big East and the Big Ten. And um, so to me, there's nothing better than celebrating, I think, the best basketball in the country, and that's the state of New Jersey. And so some of those uh, projects that I've taken on that I come back, I think about, come up with different ways to do that. Um, the next one, uh, which is a, you know, kind of a little bit of a takeoff of the basketball reunion, which is a celebration of the tradition and history of New Jersey basketball is how do we give kids from New Jersey an opportunity of a lifetime? And I've been fortunate to have partaken in some European summer all-star tours as an assistant coach, uh, took some team over to Italy six, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago. Uh, a couple of our Seton Hall players came on the trip, um, took uh, kids over to Barcelona two summers ago. Um, kids from, you know, Purdue, Duke, Notre Dame, West Virginia, Seton Hall, uh, Rutgers guys have gone on it. Uh, by NCAA rule, you're allowed two players from any one team. And it's a great cultural experience. It's a great basketball experience. Guys go over usually in their freshman, sophomore, junior summer, gives them great international experience, prepares them for the next season. And so through my experiences, I was like, this would be really cool. I've been on a really cool cruise. How do we take kids on a high-end, big-time cruise and have this European basketball cultural experience? So I put together... USA Garden State Basketball, and we're in the selection process of selecting 12 players, and our unique angle besides the crews is they have to be from New Jersey, played high school basketball in New Jersey, and or attend one of the New Jersey colleges and represents New Jersey by playing for Princeton and Rutgers and Seton Hall and Ryder, and Mammoth and St. Peter's, and the Division Twos and Division Threes. Those kids traditionally don't get an opportunity like this, so we want this to be all-encompassing and eventually build it into a trip that has representation from every college in the state of New Jersey. Wow. Okay. So, so I love the idea. Um, how is it that you are selling this to the kids and the coaches from those programs. So this isn't anything new. Guys have been doing this for years and years and years with all-star teams. Um, you know, 20, 25 years ago, the Big East put together a team and sent a conference team over. And um, it's a great experience for the kids. So, you know, when I was approached seven, eight years ago at Seton Hall, like, yeah, we got two kids. We want to send them over. And what coaches do is pick two deserving kids, kids that need some development, kids that they want to have this experience, kids that have worked hard, maybe kids that are red-shirting, that didn't play, want to get them a little bit of experience playing before the season. And so this happens all the time. Again, I had kids from Duke and Purdue. And so we're just limiting our trip to – New Jersey student athletes and one of the first guys that there's a selection process and we reach out to all the kids, all the programs. Um, Derek Simpson from Rutgers University is the first guy that we'll announce uh, coming up 
can really? announce it now. That's, but that's this a, week. That's that, a great name. That Derek is one of the guys that will be with us on our foreign tour. And obviously we've reached out to every school in the state. And now we have to put together a team, kind of like recruiting. I can't take 12 guards. I've got to get some <laughs> forwards. I've got to get some bigs. I've got to have some guards. I've got to have some point guards. got to have some shooters. So we're just trying to put together a very competitive team of all those players. And uh, it's exciting for me uh, to be able to do this. Again, I, I love giving back. New Jersey basketball has been my life. But Derek, one of the first guys, not only a, a great guard and player at Rutgers so he could represent the state university and the state of New Jersey, but I recruited and coached his father, Ronnie Simpson, at Ryder University in the mid-'80s. So it's really neat for me to have recruited and coached his dad and now be able to recruit, select, and be part of the staff that will coach Derek on this foreign tour. It's all about relationships, Fred. You know, and 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 you have so many great relationships. You never know how those relationships are going to come into play. And and was there a lot of convincing? L listen, was there a lot of convincing to get a player like Derek Simpson? I mean, if you're starting with guards in New Jersey, uh, what better guard to start with than than a young, exciting, up and coming player like him? Now, Bri, there's very very little convincing. Uh, who doesn't want to go on a cruise throughout Croatia? Uh, which people tell me, and I've never been, is just yeah. unbelievably beautiful. The, the cultural experiences, um, very good basketball. Um, who doesn't want to go on a week-long cruise and play against international European competition by going over to Croatia? Um, the NCA allows alumni and boosters to support the trip and support their players. So, there's a fundraising aspect to it for them. But once again, having been through this, um, great alumni at all the schools and the, the kids do the fundraising. They reach out and alumni get behind them, fundraise for the trip and give them the experience of a lifetime. Uh, my foundation is the sponsor. Um, so we are a 501c3 tax exempt foundation and people can contribute to our trip through the foundation and everything goes to the trip. No dollars individually go to any single player. Uh, money's not earmarked for any player. It's to support a player to go on the trip through our foundation. So the NCAA is great. They have a series of um, minor rules that uh, and regulations that we send out to everyone um, and it's really straightforward. Uh, anybody that wants to support uh, players throughout the state of New Jersey to go on our USA Garden State Basketball Croatian Tour can go to a GoFundMe page that is set up um, for the foundation. And players have their own individual GoFundMe pages that are set up that they can contribute through. So it's really, it's really a cool, cool opportunity. Um, no, I'm going to have more players that want to go than we can take. And that's where I hope in future years we may have two or three trips so we can accommodate all of the players at every level in the state of New Jersey.
Freddie, great, great job by your foundation, the Fred Hill Foundation. Um, it's it's got to be, I don't know, you know, what are cruises these days? 10, 12,000 a person, Fred? I mean, you're talking over times 12, that's $120,000, $150,000 you're trying to put together. Well, you know what? And we do a lot of negotiating, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty decent at that through my foundation. And I'm sure. Raising money. Uh, these trips traditionally over the years have cost around $8,000. And, and we're going to keep this one to 10 or less okay. with all the, 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 the wheeling and dealing that's going on right now and negotiating with the cruise line and the airlines, the hotels, training camp here in the States. Um, we're going to make this very, very reasonable in today's world for these kids to have this great experience. So, um, again, the Team Hill Foundation, uh, teamhillfoundation.org. And then if you go on uh, GoFundMe, you'll see the kids have their own GoFundMe pages set up. We have one set up, USA Garden State Basketball. And uh, being a 501c3 uh, tax-exempt foundation, uh, you can support these kids and have a uh, taxable contribution as a write-off. Well said. USA Garden State Basketball team and also the Hill Foundation. Uh, if you want to help support these players, and I'm sure the players, like you said, uh, that are on this roster are going to uh, set up some type of GoFundMe as well. And Fred, you know, you, you, I see why you're doing it early, right? You know what it's like to book cruises. People book these things, you know, months, if not years in advance. So uh, you're probably running under the gun here. You probably got to get this done sooner rather than later. It has been a little bit of a challenge trying to do that because, yes, uh, cruises get set up really far in advance. And um, by February, um, we have to have everything locked in and taken care of. So uh, we've really started to push this out early. Uh, traditionally, you know, towards the end of the season, these teams get put into place. But again, we've had a great response. Um, players are excited when we talk to them about taking the trip. And now we just have to put together the administrative end of it. And uh, it's going extremely well. And we're really excited about this first inaugural trip and where we can take this program in the future. Yeah, Freddie, a couple more questions. I mean, Derek Simpson's the first. I, I know you can't reveal any more names unless you have some. So, so you're really looking to get players, let's say, you know, like you said, Seton Hall, Princeton, or people with ties to New Jersey. Uh are, are you is the roster coming close to being filled? Yes. Well, I can talk about the guys that um, we've discussed and uh, are up for selection. Uh, Derek is the first one that we're going to announce that has committed. Um, but uh, my nephew played at St. Mary's in Rutherford. Uh, Nikki Boyd, he is the starting guard. Um, at Florida Atlantic University, played in the Final Four last year. Yeah. His teammate, Jalen Gaffney, um, is from New Jersey and uh, played two years of high school ball, one at Lawrenceville, one at Petty. Um, went to UConn, transferred to Florida Atlantic. So there's two Jersey guys in the backcourt. Um, we got guys from Princeton, Seton Hall, NJIT, um, guys that, you know, played in New Jersey and went out. A uh, guy like Mark Armstrong at Villanova University. Um, so it's not just from the schools, but also guys that played their high school ball in the state. And they're all over the country. Um, so we've reached out to a number of people. And now we're going through from those numbers 
And from the committees, uh, maybe 30, 40 kids we've reached out to. Now the selection process is starting. And of course, Derek is the first one um, that we're ready to announce and really excited to have him kick this trip off with him saying he wants to represent the state of New Jersey, represent Rutgers University, and have a great experience. I love it. I love it. And then the coaches, Fred, listen, you've, you've known a lot of, and worked with a lot of coaches. Are you the head coach? Uh, and and who, are, who are all the coaches? Well, I am the general manager. Okay. Uh, I, I will have an active role in the whole trip uh, and also the coaching aspect. But um, there are a number of coaches, past and present, with New Jersey ties that we've reached out to that are extremely interested in taking the trip. So uh, that will be the next step in the process to name a head coach and a staff that will take these young men over to Croatia and uh, enjoy coaching a group of phenomenal New Jersey student athletes. Freddie, I love it. Uh, listen, everything that you have uh, gone on to do with your basketball academy and the uh, you know New Jersey basketball reunion, which is, takes place at the Prudential Center, uh, on the national championship Monday. Uh, and now this, you, you've touched a lot of people's lives and, and you've also, you know, enriched and enlivened basketball here in New Jersey. So I commend you for what you're doing for the state. And if anyone bleeds New Jersey, it, it's you, Fred. So well done. Well, I, I appreciate it. And it's a, it, it's a lot of fun. And again, I, I've been very blessed on my basketball journey and it's predominantly taken place in the state of New Jersey, um, a lot of kids have touched my life and, and our coaching staff's lives. And for us to be able to do small things to give back is really, really special to us. But I got another one for you, Brian, as we're talking. Okay. <laughs> so anybody out there listening, um, we talked about it's Rutgers seen all week. And we talked about how they used to play twice a year. And what that meant to the rivalry. And I've mentioned this, but like some of these other ventures, people go, eh, eh, maybe, eh. But it turned out to be pretty good. I would love for the powers to be to take Rutgers and Seton Hall to another level, something that no one has done in the country, and play it two out of three. A home game at Rutgers, a home game at Seton Hall and a championship game in the Trenton Arena and make it the biggest basketball event. I read the papers like everybody else or read online. Shah has to go out to Baylor. You're going to play big time power five conference schools, three or four of them in a preseason. Why not take a page from the NBA? They just started an in-season tournament to juice things up. First round, NBA, best out of three. Rutgers, seen all. Home, home, neutral in the state capital for all the marbles. You know what, Fred? I'm not going to say no, but I don't like it. I, I just don't like it because... What if one of those teams is bad, right? So much depends on your net ranking and your Ken Palm. And now you're now you're taking three games 
against somebody that could drag your number down. I mean, I would rather play in a preseason format. I thought you were going with like, you know, a big five format here in New Jersey and make it a New Jersey round robin with three or four or five. Well, we love I would that idea see too. That then and have a New Jersey champion then then put all your eggs in one basket. We have a, we 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 love that idea too, and we've we've talked about that. I've talked about it as head coach for years and years and years, but it just seems that with eight Division One schools, can't get everybody on the same page. And I hear what you just said, but I'm going to counter your argument about the net. Seton Hall is going to play. Bell, right? They're they're, they're going to lose if they lose in a real tough away game, and it's going to be no different than losing to a Big Ten opponent, and vice versa. The Big East, they're, they're never going to be so bad. We're playing each other. Is any different than playing another Power Five that's going to drag your net down? Playing a bad mid-major team could do that playing a bad low major team and you look at all the teams they play in the non-conference could potentially do that. But playing against each other is not going to do that. What most coaches say is I already played three big time teams. I don't want to play two more. Don't play. Do you really want to play Rutgers or Seton Hall three times though, Fred? Let me tell you something, nothing better than when we played twice. And I will tell you right now, if we could have played a third time and let's say we split, you talk about ratcheting it up to a level that's never been seen in this crazy rivalry. Think about seeing all wins at home, Rutgers wins at home. And now you got to go play in the state capital for all the marbles, what the intensity level, what the fan base, what the stakes are. I just watched college football, SEC championship. Oh, don't even get me started on that, you know, Fred. <laughs> okay, getting ready. Who's going to win to get into the college football playoff? Like, this is the way rivalries and these intense games are built with something on the line. And I just think it would be awesome, and no one does it. And, Fred, you're and like, so you're like I a modern like day. You're like a modern day PT Barnum over here, man. You, you got all these ideas. You're sitting around. <laughs> With all these crazy ideas, and uh, I, I'm never going to say no. I don't like it, but uh, it, it would just be a lot to have to do. And and now you're you're taking away, you know, some other non-conference opportunities. Uh, listen, we agree to disagree, but if it happens, Fred, Absolutely. you're coming on the podcast, okay? <laughs> right. Listen, always can agree to disagree. This is how ideas are born. This is good dialogue. You give good reasons as to why it's no good. I give you my reasons to why I think it could be special. And then you see if it's, if something's born out of it, great. And if not, we move on, but it's, I got an idea. Play the first game on a cruise ship to Croatia. Now you're talking. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, we we, we probably could charter it because there'd be enough New Jersey fans that would want to do it. Yeah. Um, You know, maybe we do it. Maybe we do it off the coastline of New Jersey on a cruise ship. So everybody's at the shore. Shit. Right, right off of LBI, Fred. See, now we agree. <laughs> All right, Freddie Hill. Guy in you. Uh, oh, always great talking to you, Fred. Uh, wish you luck with this. And again, if you want to help out, go to USA Garden State basketball team, thehillfoundation.org to find out more about this uh, cruise experience for New Jersey college basketball players next June. Fred, 
Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Go Pirates. Go Scarlet Knights. And good luck to you. We'll talk to you soon down the line. Uh, Brian, it's been a pleasure and absolutely happy holidays to everybody out there. And uh, everybody used to always ask me what color I'm wearing. Uh, I'm wearing blue pants and a red blazer. Excellent. I don't want to know what you're wearing underneath, Fred. TMI. All right, brother. All right. Take care. <laughs> He's out of his mind. Is he drinking wine or something? You know, as we're recording this. Hey, I, I get it. I get it. You want to do something a little different? Never say never. But come on, Fred. You think that's actually going to happen? Three games against Rutgers or Seton Hall? I mean, we're lucky to get two at this point. But Fred's different, man. Fred Fred marches to the beat of his own drummer, if you haven't figured it out. And, and that drum is beating right now. Let me tell you something. Good luck to Freddie uh, and get involved with, with that. If, if some of the players that, that you follow and the teams that you follow are getting involved, hey, maybe we can, you can even get in touch with Fred and go on that cruise to Croatia because I hear the cities in Croatia are just, I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous Eastern European architecture. All right, speaking of gorgeous, gorgeous New Jersey basketball, let's go around the tri-state now because there's a lot to talk about leading up to Seton Hall and Rutgers. I will get to them in a future podcast later this week, but let's just start in Princeton because right now the Princeton Tigers are just finding ways to win. They are 8-0 for the first time since 66-67. Tells you how long ago that was. I wasn't even born, okay? That's how old that was, how long ago that was. What a win over Furman on Saturday. I mean, this game was over. It was all but over. Princeton was down 11 at the four-minute timeout. It's 65-64. The Jadwin gym is they're, they're leaving, okay? But it wasn't over. Mitch Henderson tells his guys in the huddle, we are switching to a 1-3-1 defense. And that totally changed the game and turned it around. Furman, over the next three minutes and 57 seconds, get this, they had one field goal the rest of the way and turned the ball over six times. They didn't know what to do with that 1-3-1 zone. I mean, what is this, 1976? We're going 1-3-1 zone? That, that takes me back to my, my CYO days at St. James in Rocky Hill. We're going 1-3-1. One, one. I, I was at the top of the zone running around wreaking havoc, double-teaming players, sometimes running the baseline. All right, it's not about me. I get it. I get it. This is about Princeton. But Mitch Henderson, you know, uh, Mitch Henderson just continues to show why he's such an an elite coach. If you haven't seen the ending to this game, go check it out on YouTube. All right. That one, three, one zone changed the game, but still Princeton was down two with the ball in the final frantic seconds. I mean, they were getting offensive rebound after offensive rebound. They still couldn't get a shot to fall. And then Xavier Lee drives down the lane Misses a layup, 
and watch this on on YouTube or Princeton's men's basketball Twitter account because Caden Pierce just flies in, gets the rebound, snatches it away like only Caden Pierce can. And as he's falling out of bounds underneath his own basket, whips a pass to Matty Alaco. How he even knew he was there is beyond me. Alaco standing all by himself at the three-point line. Has to shot fake because guys are running at him. And then clears some space, fires it, and drains the game-winning three. Now, there were still three seconds left. Furman inbounded the ball. They missed the three at the buzzer. It actually hit the rim. So, so Princeton had to hold their breath there. But Maddie, big game Alaco. He will go down as one of the most clutch players in Princeton basketball history. That's his second game winning three. He also hit one against Cornell a couple of years ago at the buzzer. Uh, you know, they, they just, they're good, man. <laughs> this team is good. And how are they not ranked? All right, come on. They are, the net rankings came out this week, and they are eighth in the country, and yet the voters can't get it in their minds that an Ivy League team can be ranked. I mean, if you counted it up, they're 32nd. Give me a break. Give me a break, all right? They beat a very good Hofstra team. They beat a, a Rutgers team that will keep getting better and better on a neutral site. I mean, you don't even have to look and see and just watch them, and you know that right now they're one of the top 25 teams in the country. I mean, what they did to Hofstra, oh, by the way, Tyler Thomas leading the, leading the nation in scoring, dropped another 25 last week. They held Tyler Thomas to a season-low 13 points. He shot four for 16. Now, I'm not good at math, but I, I think that's 25%. I'm better than I think I was, right? So this is a guy who dropped 40. He's dropped 30 in a game this year. He dropped 40 against High Point. They held him to 13. This Princeton team has an interesting week ahead. They play Drexel at home, who just beat Villanova. Oh, by the way. All right, so that's no pushover. And then they play a St. Joe's team that, oh, by the way, also beat Villanova who beat Texas Tech, who beat North Carolina, who beat Memphis. We don't know what team Villanova, what Villanova team is going to show up when they play, but still St. Joe's and Drexel, that game is at St. Joe's. The Drexel game is at Jadwin. I've been saying this for a week now. If Princeton can get through this week, they're going to be 13-0 and going into their first Ivy League game against Harvard. And you can book it right now. They will be ranked, okay? Because there's no way you're not going to rank a 13-0 Princeton team. But let's backtrack a little bit. Here's a stat. If Princeton wins against Drexel, they will match their best start in program history at 9-0, achieved last by the 1919-1920 Princeton Tigers. And no, I was not around for that season. They still have the peach basket up in Jadwin Gym 
to mark that and commemorate that 1920 season. All right. That is how long ago Princeton started nine and oh. I don't even know if they kept records back then. I think they I think they kept records with an ink pen. Nine and oh. That's what Princeton would do if they beat Drexel. And oh, by the way, the awards keep piling in individually. It is now four straight weeks that a Princeton Tiger has earned Ivy League Player of the Week. Caden Pierce did it for the second time. Alaco and Xavier Lee are the other two. Last week, Pierce averaged 22 points and nine rebounds in those two wins. So good for him. His 15th rebound in that win over Furman, none bigger than that 15th rebound against Furman. And the assist, the assist to Matt Alaco for the game-winning three. So Princeton, we'll see if they can keep rolling. St. John's is is uh, coming off a win over West Virginia in the Big East Big 12 battle. All right, I don't care how you slice it. St. John's fans want to say it was ugly. Come on, man. That's how you win on the road. You grind out those wins. You can make a case that every win on the road is ugly. And I know there's exceptions to every rule, but that's how you have to win on the road. So... They grinded it out, all right? It was a game where they didn't have R.J. Luis. I mean, what what a what a tough story that is, right? He comes back in a game against Holy Cross after sitting out all of uh, the preseason and the early part of the season with a fractured wrist. He looks like he's going to be one of their one of their best, most important, most gifted, as Patino calls him, players. And he plays one game, scores 14 points against Holy Cross, and now we learn he's got shin splints. Are you kidding me? I have never had shin splints, but I hear they are really, really painful. And that that's going to put Luis out until 2024. We hope to see him sometime in January because, trust me, St. John's is, is a very good team without him. They are, They are a superior team with him. They were only going to get better. So they can still win without him, of course, but you'd much rather have R.J. Luis in your lineup. So this was a game against West Virginia where Dennis Jenkins fouls out, Chris Ledlam fouls out, who was playing his best game, oh, by the way, in a St. John's uniform with 17 points and 10 rebounds. They needed someone to step up. And who was it but Naheem Aleem? the championship pedigree, the UConn transfer, the guy who one week ago went to his coach, Rick Patino, and Patino is thinking, oh boy, he's going to be asking for playing time. No. Naheem Aline said, coach, I want to apologize for how I've been playing. Well, no apology needed for how Naheem Aline played. Joel Soriano was the MVP of this game, and I'll get to him in a second. But St. John's does does not win this game, in my opinion, without Naheem Aline. He had 12 of his 14 points in the second half. Every time you looked up, Naheem Aline was hitting a big three, getting a big steal. He made one of the biggest plays in the game at one point 
when West Virginia made a run, the crowd's getting into it. They had cut it to two. Aline misses a three. And St. Uh, John's fans are going, or St. John's players are going for the rebound. West Virginia players are everywhere. I don't know how they didn't get the rebound. And somehow Aline gets his own rebound and then goes in and hits a layup. St. John's goes up by four. And that, for all intents and purposes, was the play of the game. Now, later, Aline hit a big three to ice the game with 20 seconds to go. But that rebound and layup by Aline, I mean, West Virginia's getting the ball with a chance to tie or take the lead. And if they had ever taken the lead with that crowd, this, this outcome might have been a little different. Naheem Aline showed up on the road in a big spot when St. John's needed him. Of course, they had the big man, Joel Soriano. All this guy does is show up and put up numbers. All right. Death, taxes, and Joel Soriano showing up for St. John's. I mean, he is team MVP. That is the one player you cannot afford to lose. He had a career-high 24 points, nine rebounds, three blocks. He was doing it on both ends of the court. I mean, the big man has scored in double figures in every game this season. He's got three double-doubles. Listen, just, just book it, man. This guy just produces. And if he ever goes down or gets into foul trouble, St. John's is in trouble. So, you know... They'll find a way, hopefully, to get R.J. Luis healthy. He has potential to be their, their second-best player behind Soriano. That's how good he is. In the meantime, Glenn Taylor Jr. will continue to start in his absence. Uh, St. John's, you know, get through this stretch, baby. Sacred Heart. I know Sacred Heart. It, it, this is possibly the best Sacred Heart team that Anthony Latina has ever had at Sacred Heart. But, look, they're not on St. John's level. I'm not saying they can't win this game. That would be a huge upset. Sure, it can happen. It's college basketball, right? But St. John's has to take care of business. Sacred Heart, uh, the game against Boston College on Long Island at the Bark or at, in, in Brooklyn at the Barclays and Fordham. You know, you're playing some local teams or looking to shock the world. But St. John's needs to get to eight and two going into their Big East opener against Xavier. All right, so so good road win for them. And give it up for St. Peter's. The Peacocks had quite a weekend sweeping their trip to the Buffalo area, beating Niagara and Canisius just after, oh, by the way, they had gotten their doors blown in by Rutgers 70 to 41. It was so non-competitive. All right, good for Bashir Mason, getting his team regrouped, and, and it's always a challenge to try to go 2-0 in that upstate New York trip. Now, look, look, they were underdogs in both games. But Niagara, that's a good win. Canisius at Canisius, that is a superior. That is a great win because the MAC is so wide open this year. And Canisius was coming off a 20-point blowout of a very solid Quinnipiac team. Canisius was the team that Mac followers was saying, hmm, maybe Canisius is the best team in the Mac this year right now. Well, now Canisius 
loses to St. Peter's, and the MAC is is all jumbled. All right. Usually, this is a, a league that Siena is the best team, or Iona is the best team, or Ryder is the best team. All right. Put your favorite team in there. There's normally one team that that has the the elite talent. Well, this year, my goodness, it could be Iona. It could be St. Peter's. It could be Canisius. It could be Marist. How about the job that John Dunn's doing? All right. They go to Iona and win at New Rochelle for the first time in a decade. And now Marist is 2-0 in the MAC. Their best start in MAC play in 13 years. So we got it all going on in the MAC. You got like seven teams at one and one. Marist and St. Peter's are the only undefeated teams in MAC play. And it will end that way in 2023 because the MAC will not play again until 2024. So, right now, as we speak, the two best teams in the MAC are St. Peter's and Marist until further notice. But the margin for error has rarely, if ever, been this razor thin. So the Mac is whack, baby. And Ryder, your preseason favorites, are one and seven. It could not be a worse start for Ryder. They beat Division Three Immaculata to open up the season. They have had a brutal stretch. They lost five games in a row and now have dropped their two Mac games to start this season. Kevin Baggett has to lick his wounds and figure out a way to get this team a win. The Bronx need it in a in the worst way. You cannot lose at home to Fairfield, okay? But they have. So Iona, they're trying to get things right with Tobin Anderson. And, and if any coach can do it, it's him. But the Mac is whack, baby. So Keep your eye on them as the calendar turns to January because it is going to be a crazy year in the MAC. So uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. But wait, don't click me off just yet, all right? I want to remind you, the next podcast, Seton Hall and Rutgers, we're going to have a preview. It'll be all about Seton Hall and Rutgers as they play at the Prudential Center on Saturday. So check out that podcast. And I want to give a shout-out to one of my followers, Daryl Gurney. If you know Daryl Gurney, he has been a longtime Rutgers season ticket holder, I believe since 1988. Now, full disclosure, I go way back with his son, Dave. Dave and I, we used to cover college basketball together. Dave coming out of Rutgers with the Daily Targum and then, and then uh, was a writer as well covering Rutgers basketball in his early years. So I've known him when, when, with my days, from my days at News 12, New Jersey, and Dave and I now teach together at Homedale High School. Well, Dave introduced me to his, his father, Daryl Gurney. Could not have been a nicer guy. We saw each other at the St. Peter's Rutgers game, and I said to Daryl, we're talking hoops, and we're talking Rutgers and the game, of course, and you know, breaking down the guard play of Simpson and 
Jermichael Davis and Noah Fernandes. And, and I said, Daryl, what, tell me something. You, you listen to the podcast. What do you like to hear? And he said, you know what? I, I just want more. I want more podcast. All right. He can't get enough of it. So I'm like, oh my God, Daryl, Daryl, I'm doing my best here, man. I'm trying to crank them out, but you know what, Daryl, you get your wish, man. New pod coming out this week, Thursday, previewing the Seton Hall Rutgers game. I hope you listen to that one. Hope to have a couple of former Seton Hall players and, and Rutgers players, I should say, uh, on that podcast. And, and Daryl, I thank you. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for downloading and uh, just being one of those fans, man. It was great to meet you and can't wait to talk to you at the next Rutgers game, okay? So thanks to Daryl. Thanks to you for downloading. Uh, thanks for subscribing. Please continue. Get the message out. Let's increase the subscribership and tell your friends about it. Please share it with them. And of course, our thanks to our sponsor, the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Go to their website, NorthJerseyVipers.com. My name is Brian DeNovellis. Enjoy the games, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long. <laughs>